What do you do when life isn't normal anymore? And you're getting tired of waiting for God to intervene. Now, believe it or not, the sixth chapter of Judges speaks to this question. So I'd like for us to read the first 10 verses of the passage. Uh, you can find it on page 205 in your pew Bibles. Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of the Lord, or the people of Israel, cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Well, here we go again. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord again. And this time he turned them over to the Midianites. The Midianites were a bunch of bullies. They rode on camels, which I guess would be the ancient equivalent to a gang of hell's angels riding around on Harley Davidson's. They probably wore leather jackets too, or maybe camel hair jackets. Uh, not the kind of camel hair jacket that Joe Cobb usually wears, but something more rugged looking, more like what you would expect somebody who was part of Hell's Angels to wear. So anyway, the Midianites would come in when the Israelites were harvesting their crops and steal their food along with all of their livestock. And the people of Israel were scared of the people of Midian. And they were hungry. You can just imagine virtually every kid and every household in Israel in those days was probably asking questions like these. How much longer do we have to hide in this cave? It's beginning to get spooky. Or this one. Can I bring some of my toys to play with in the cave while we're hiding out from the Midianites? 
And the response from the mother would be something like this. Uh, no, I'm sorry, sweetheart, but you can't. You can only bring those things that are essential. Or maybe this question. I'm tired of living in fear. When do we get to go back to normal again? Well, that's a conversation that you might expect in 2020. But here we're talking thousands of years before Christ. All of a sudden, doesn't the sixth chapter of Judges seem strangely contemporary? Actually, the book of Judges and this chapter in particular leads us to wonder what to do when life is no longer normal. When life isn't normal anymore, we have questions. Questions that range from the innocent to the cynical. Questions like these. Will this state of emergency ever come to an end? Can't somebody figure out the problem here and do something about it? Are we going to have to live in fear indefinitely? And then this one. Where is God in all of this? Can't he see that we need him? Well, when life is no longer normal, these are the kinds of questions people ask. And they are the kinds of questions that we ought to be asking all the time, but it seems that we don't ask them until life isn't normal anymore. In Judges 6, uh, we are introduced to Gideon. Uh, he was a man just like us. He, he was tired of life the way it was. He just wanted to go back to life being normal again. He was tired of being bullied, tired of being pushed around, tired of working hard and having nothing. And uh, our text does raise several questions about life when it's no longer normal. Uh, questions such as these. What is the real source of my problems? And if God is with me, as he says he is, why am I still having trouble? How can I compensate for my feelings of inadequacy? Something that Gideon felt. And then there's this one. Who is God, really? Now, we're not going to have time to talk about all of these questions this morning, um, so I hope you'll come back next week and we'll finish talking about some of the major questions. But uh, there are just one or two that I'd like to cover with you this morning. Question number one, what is the real source of my problems? The Midianites were making life miserable for the Israelites, and so the people of Israel would cry to God for help. Yeah, no doubt they were looking for some John Wayne type of hero to come to their rescue. But that's not who God sends. That's not the type of person that he sends. So instead of sending an angel or maybe a band of angels in the mold of John Wayne or Rambo or some other tough guy to knock the Midianites around, God sends someone who seems to be totally inadequate for the job. He sends a prophet. In today's context, we might say a preacher. Did you hear that right? 
We have a state of emergency here, and God sends a preacher to preach a sermon. Yeah, that's, that's what he does. And uh, you know, it does make us wonder, what good would that do? I mean, we are suffering here, the, the people are saying. We're being oppressed by these Midianites. Uh, they're stealing all of our food. They're taking our livelihoods away from us. It's, it, it's terrible. And you send a preacher? I mean, this is sort of like your car breaking down on the side of the road. And fortunately, you have a cell phone and you had AAA, so you punch in the number and give them the uh, vital information that they need. And so AAA sends someone out. And instead of sending a mechanic with a tow truck, uh, they send a representative from public relations with brochures of all of the nice places that you could visit if your car was running correctly. So why did God send a preacher instead of someone like John Wayne? Well, personally, I think it's kind of nice uh, to know that when people cry out to God for help, he might just send them a preacher with a sermon. Of course, uh, you know, God could easily just get his people out of trouble. I mean, all he's got to do is, you know, just like that and it's gone, so... Why didn't he do that? Why doesn't he do that? I can tell you why he didn't do it in the case of the Israelites under the oppression of the Midianites. See, God wanted his people to understand why they were in the trouble that they were in. He wants them to know where their idol worship has led them. Uh, not too long ago, I had a job helping parents to become better equipped to raise their children. Um, none of the families I assisted were what you might call, or they, they, they did not have what you might call normal lives. Uh, some of them had major problems, and, and some of them had severely major problems. And uh, one of the first questions I would ask these parents uh, was this one. Who would you say is the primary cause of your trouble? Is it you or someone else? And most of them would say, well, it's someone else. And I would say, uh, okay, um, but I can't do anything about them, but I can help you. Uh, my objective was to you know, get people to take responsibility for their problems. And that's what God was doing with his people here in Judges 6. He wants them to assume responsibility for their problems. They are experiencing these marauding bands of Midianites coming in on their camels, stealing all their food and their flocks and herds because they had stopped worshiping God and turned to idols once again. And God wants them to see. Don't you see the pattern here? We've been over this time and time and time and time again. And it's always the same result. So why not just recognize that when you turn away from the Lord, uh, you're going to experience this kind of trouble. See, God wants his people to 
he wants to deliver them and he's going to, but what he really wants is for them to repent of their idol worship. In verses 6 and 7, if you have your Bibles open and want to drop down there, uh, we see the people crying out to God. Okay, isn't that an expression of repentance? Well, not necessarily. You know, there's a difference between repentance and regret. Uh, there is a difference between skin-deep repentance and repentance that goes all the way into the heart. A skin-deep repentance is being sorry that you are experiencing the consequences of your actions. But heart-level repentance is being sorry that you actually did what you did. A skin-deep repentance is all about us, how I am being hurt, how my life is ruined, how my heart is breaking. But heart-level repentance is all about God, how he has been grieved, how his nature as creator and redeemer is being trampled on, how he is regarded by his people as their measure of last resort rather than their measure of first resort. Now, the people of Israel are sorry. They're sorry they lost their crops and their herds, and they want it back, but they're not sorry for what they did that brought this oppression upon them, turning from God to idols. God wants them to repent of that. He wants to see heart change. And what method does God usually employ to produce heart change or, or heart level repentance? Preaching. Preaching is God's method of reminding us of two important things. One, what he has done, and two, what we have done. So what has God done? In uh, verses 8 and 9, well, let's read these verses. Uh, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Then in verse 10, God says, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in the land uh, or, or in whose land you dwell. Uh, but what has Israel done in response to what God has done? And in verse 10, the last part of that verse, it says, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now God sends the prophet to preach a sermon that would bring the people back from skin-deep repentance to heart-depth repentance, from regret to true repentance. It's interesting to note that um, the people of Israel cried out for some dramatic miracle from God, but instead of sending a miracle, God sent a preacher with a sermon instead. Some decades ago, I got caught up in the charismatic movement, uh, which prompted me to leave the church uh, where I had been serving that was thriving at the time to start another one. 
and I left something else behind too. I no longer saw preaching as the means that God uses to bring about heart change. Instead, I followed the leaders of the movement that I had embraced, and uh, went along with what they said was the most powerful means for effecting heart change, music and miracles. I want you to know that I've repented of that belief, and it cost me, uh, I mean, everything I did was costly. It was costly to buy into that. It was costly to, to sell that. It's like, you know, buying something high and then selling it low, which you know, I'm pretty good at doing that. Um, but to not repent is really costly. And here's a lesson that I've learned that I want to communicate to you. Nothing should ever take the place of the Word of God. Now, the study and the exposition of scriptures is the means by which God brings spiritual renewal. It is through the study and the exposition of the scriptures that we learn who God is and who we are. This is why God sent the prophet to preach the sermon that he preached, is to produce repentance and so that the people might really know who God is. So how do the people respond? Did they repent? In the next few verses, we might expect to read how the people burned their idols and turned to God. But if they did, there, there's no record of it. And instead, here's what we read. And if you want to follow with me, beginning at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abirazite, with his son Gideon, was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Now in these verses... Uh, we read a marvelous answer to the second big question that we're asking today. Who is God? Really? I mean, who is he? Let's watch this answer unfold for us. Gideon is out here in the wine press threshing out the wheat. Uh, he's in a wine press um, because he can have a, a measure of protection there. And then God shows up. You know, we hear that that phrase sometimes when there is a sensation of the, or an awareness of the presence of God, that God shows up. Well, this time he really did. I mean, he literally shows up. Uh, this is the angel of the Lord. And any time in Old Testament where you see the terminology, the angel of the Lord, we're talking about a, a theophany, that is a pre-incarnate visitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he comes and he's there uh, 
talking to, to Gideon, and he commissions Gideon to save his people from Midian. Now, what's so remarkable about that is this, is that the Lord commissions Gideon to deliver his people from Midian, even though the people have not yet repented. What does this tell you about God? Well, it tells us that God does not wait for us to repent before he begins to save us. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to make the first move. God always makes the first move in salvation. God does not begin to save us because we repent. We repent because he has begun his saving work in us. Through the eternal work of his son and through the internal or the external work of his son and the internal work of his spirit. So here, here's something from these verses in Judges 6 that we learn about God. That God is both more holy and more merciful than we are. And he responds to a cry for help by sending a prophet to tell them about their sin to explain why they are in the mess that they are in. And then he goes ahead and he commissions the one that he has chosen to rescue his people, even though there is no evidence of repentance on the part of the people. So the, the, the commissioning process begins in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. And this statement prompts Gideon to ask a really big question. Beginning of verse 13, Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. That's a good question. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? You know, if the Lord is with us, why are we going through a pandemic? If the Lord is with us, why are so many people getting sick? Why is the economy tanking? Why are we having all of these problems that are associated with it? Do you ask that question? It's a fair question. And we're going to talk about that, but not today. So come back next week. Or if you can't come back next week, uh, tune in again this same time next week, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss it. But in the meantime, I want us to focus on this question. Who is God, really? You see, Gideon's not absolutely sure that the one who is commissioning him to deliver his people really is the Lord. And so in verse 17, he asks for a sign. And then in the next verse, he asks the Lord, uh, wait here, I have to go back and get a present for you. So you kind of picture the scene here of the Lord is standing there talking to Gideon. And, and uh, Gideon is wondering who it is that he's speaking to. And uh, he wants to know if this really is the Lord. And he's intrigued by the angel of the Lord. Now, wait, wait, wait right here. Uh, had to go back home and get a present. So what kind of present does he get? 
Well, he goes and he takes one of his young goats and he prepares it. Uh, he prepares a meal. He has to boil the, I mean, he has to, you know, butcher the goat. And then he has to prepare it and cook it. And then uh, he prepared some unleavened bread to go with that. How long do you think that might have taken? Uh, but the Lord, uh, you know, just stands out there waiting for uh, Gideon to, to get done. And uh, then he comes back and... Uh, when uh, you know Gideon is ready to present the meal uh, to, to the angel of the Lord, uh, the Lord tells him, "Well, just set it down here on, on this rock and take the broth and pour it over the uh, the meat and the bread." And Gideon does that, and then the Lord takes his staff and extends it toward the meal on the rock there, and you know it just disappears in a flame. Uh, the God who answers by fire, he is God. But later we'll see the prophet Elijah have a confrontation with the prophets of Baal about this same matter. But uh, the text says that it was then that Gideon perceived that this was the Lord. Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, who else could it be? And then the angel vanishes. The, the text tells us that Gideon um, you know, he, he realizes he's been in the presence of God and now he's afraid he's going to die uh, because no one can stand in the presence of God and live. But then the Lord speaks to Gideon, even though he is not physically present, he speaks to Gideon and tells him not to worry that he's not going to die. And then in the next section of scripture, the Lord tells Gideon to destroy the idols that his father had built. And Gideon does, and as he does, or when he does, he raises some eyebrows in the community. Actually, the people wanted to bring Gideon out and put him to death. I guess that qualifies as eyebrow raising. But uh, in the meantime, the Midianites and the uh, Amalekites and all the people of the east have mobilized for battle. And now Gideon is apparently nervous about the battle. Now, why should he be nervous? What did the Lord tell him? You know, you will defeat Midian as one man. But got all the Midianites, all the Amalekites, and all the people of the East, they've all mobilized uh, for, for battle. I need some more assurance, Gideon is saying to himself. And so he, he asked the Lord in uh, verses 36 and following. Uh, he asked for reassurance that the Lord will give him victory. It's not that the consuming of the meal on the rock with fire, well, wouldn't that be enough? Well, not for Gideon. He wants another sign. So uh, he sets out the, the famous fleece. We won't take a lot of time today to talk about that, but uh, it's basically a, a sheepskin. Gideon says, okay, um, in order to make sure I really understand, I want to put the fleece out here and uh, Lord, I want to ask uh, that you would make the, the, the fleece wet with dew and the ground all around it to be dry. And so the Lord, he humors Gideon, goes along with that and Gideon takes the fleece and he wrings it out and gets a bowl full of water and uh, that ought to do it, right? He says, well, I've, I've got, uh, don't be angry, but I have just one more request uh, how about this time I put the fleece out 
and uh, I want it to remain dry and the ground all around it to be wet. Uh, that's what he's asking for. Now, when we talk about fleece setting, some people uh, refer to this as a means by which you determine what God's will is for you in a certain situation. You know, some people I've heard of say, well, Lord, if you uh, want me to go on the mission field, then let the sun rise in the west uh, tomorrow morning. And, of course, the sun rises in the east and say, oh, that's good. The Lord doesn't want me to go to the mission field after all. Um, we do find creative ways sometimes to manipulate what we want God to do. But in Gideon's case, he already knew what God wanted him to do. He already knew he wanted him to go up against Gideon. So he wasn't setting out this fleece in order to determine God's will or to receive God's directions. No. He wanted to find out who God really is. You see, in Baal worship, Baal was known as the God of nature. It was Baal who made the rains come. It was Baal who made the crops grow. It was Baal who brought about life. And so Gideon wants to know, are you greater than Baal? Are you the one true God who is in control of not just nature, but everything? But in order that he might know that it was the Lord who was in control and not Baal, he asked for this double sign with the fleece and the dew because he wanted to know who he was really, really talking to. So what about you? Do you ever have doubts or questions about who God really is or what kind of God he is? Have you ever thought how nice it would be if God would just prove himself to you by responding to your requests for signs? You know, we have something better than signs. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Now, Gideon's main question was not whether God wanted him to do this, go up against the Midianites, but God, how do I know that you really are who you claim to be? How do I know that you really are on my side? How do I know that you really are in control and not circumstances and not my enemies well we don't need a fleece to assure us that God is in control and that he is on our side the cross is our assurance that God is in control and that he is on our side even when life doesn't seem normal anymore Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for speaking to us today through your word. We're grateful for the, the privilege to be counted among your people, uh, not because of anything that we had done, but because you have called us, you have drawn us to yourself, 
And even before we thought to call upon you, you were at work in us. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. For this, we are grateful. May your word sink in and may it take fruit. And may it give us the assurance that you really are who you say you are and that we can trust you, whatever we may be going through, whether life is normal or whether it isn't normal anymore. You are the same. Through Christ we pray, amen.